And today what I'm going to do is preach on the gifts of the Spirit generally, and then we're going to look at two gifts, the, gift, the, gift of, the gifts of healing, as it says in Scripture, and the gift of prophecy. The title of my sermon is Concerning Spiritual Gifts, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. As Greg said, this is God's holy and authoritative word through which he now speaks to us. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God, ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of activities, but it is, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God. Excuse me, let me start all over. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. May God bless the preaching of his word. You and I, we live in a material, physical, fast-paced, schedule-packed, traffic-jammed world. We daily feel the pressures of work, of raising our families, of providing for them and ourselves. Our cars break down. The roofs on our houses need replaced. Our joints need replaced. (laughs) We have to see the doctor more frequently because our bodies are aging. See, all of those things are daily reminders that you and I, we live in a fallen physical world. And we must be careful that the demands and effects of living in a material world don't lull us into forgetting that as Christians... We are spiritual people. See, if we as Christians forget that we are spiritual people, we will live unaware of the power and of the presence of the Holy Spirit daily in our lives. Richard Lovelace makes this observation. The failure to recognize the Holy Spirit as personally present in our lives is widespread in the churches today. Even where Christians know about the Holy Spirit doctrinally, they have not necessarily made a deliberate point of getting to know Him personally. A normal relationship with the Holy Spirit would at least approximate the Old Testament experience described in Psalm 139. A profound awareness that we are always 
face to face with God. That as we move through the as we move through life, the presence of the Spirit is the most real and powerful factor in our daily environment. That underneath the momentary static of events, conflicts, problems, and even excursions into sin, He is always there. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, are you aware this morning and do you live aware that He is always there? You see, we can't allow the demands of living in a physical world to numb us to this reality, to this truth that as Christians, we are spiritual people. Now, I tell you that because in opening this section of the letter to the Corinthians, Paul wants to, where he wants to discuss the spiritual gifts, chapters 12 through 14, this is where he begins the conversation. He's reminding them that they are spiritual people. He does that in verses 2 and 3 by drawing, by reminding them that they were once pagans. Once who were led astray by mute idols, as the text says. But now, now they are people who declare that Jesus is Lord. And it's clear from verse 3 that only those who have been regenerated by the Spirit of God at convert, and at conversion indwelt with the Spirit of God, only those people can declare that Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 3 again. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord. Genuines, genuines, genuinely say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, now that verse is important in understanding the rest of this text that addresses the spiritual gifts in a couple of ways. First of all, before narrowing the discussion where Paul talks about the spiritual gifts, he references the broad work of the Spirit. And in verse 3, the reference specifically is to the regenerating work of the Spirit. That is what Jesus taught in John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. You know those verses those who are born of flesh are flesh, and those who are born of spirit are spirit. We have to be reminded. We were reminded again today as we sang together that once we were dead in our sin. And as we sang earlier, then the Spirit acts upon us, regenerates our heart, convicts us of sin, shows us our need for a Savior, and grants us saving faith. That is just one of the many works of the spirits. And that is where he's beginning this discussion referencing that work. Second, reason it's important, we know from verse 3 that at our conversion then, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God. And it's a reminder we know from the New Testament that we live daily needing to be filled with the Spirit of God. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.18, in present tense language, be filled with the Spirit. See, Christians are spiritual people who are indwelt with the Spirit of God. And you and I, we have this daily need to be filled with the Spirit so that we can experience the presence and power and work of the Spirit in our lives. Let me ask you, on this Sunday morning, don't you want to be more aware of the Spirit's presence in your life? Don't you want to experience more of the Spirit's power as you move through the static events of life, as Lovelace says? 
Don't you want to be a person who is led by the Spirit? And there are things that you can say that happen in my life that are just unplanned and were led by the Spirit of God. You, you do that by pursuing the Spirit and asking to be filled by the Spirit. And you do that by using your spiritual gifts. Which is why Paul begins this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 by saying, now we want to talk about now concerning spiritual gifts. And that's, that's relevant for you as a church because you define yourself theologically as continuationists. You believe that the gifts have not ceased. You believe that they will continue to be used today and they will continue to be used until Christ's return. That's why you call yourselves continuationists. You're not cessationists. You don't believe the, God, the gifts have ceased with the apostolic age. So, what Paul has to say here about the spiritual gifts, it has great relevance for you. So, four characteristics of the spiritual gifts, and then we're going to look at the gifts of healing and prophecy. Here's the first characteristic. Number one, gifts are given and empowered by God. Gifts are given and empowered by God. So let's look at verses 4 through 6 again and then verse 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Then verse 11, after a list of the gifts, all these, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. What's striking in verses 4-6 through there, you probably saw it, is that each member of the Trinity is mentioned. The Holy Spirit in verse 4, the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 5, and God the Father in verse 6. And did you, did you note before each of those Members of the Trinity were mentioned. This, this word varieties was used. Varieties of gifts. Varieties of service. Varieties of activities. Paul is saying this. Paul is saying that God has given His church a diversity, a variety of gifts. And that diversity, that variety, actually is rooted in the Trinity itself. Which is a, an astonishing truth. So each member of the Trinity, as you well know, is fully God, and yet each member of the Trinity has a specific role or function and service. So according to verse 11, God has given us gifts, He's given each of you gifts, a, a diversity, a variety of gifts here at Emmaus Road Church. He then gives you His Spirit to empower those gifts, and when you use those diversity of gifts to serve one another, it reflects the, the diversity and unity that's actually found in the Trinity itself. That, that theological construct that we see there in verses 4 through 6, it's so important in understanding the spiritual gifts. It's something we cannot miss because in using the spiritual gifts, we can see from those verses that the gifts are not about us. The gifts are given to serve others and gifts are given to draw great attention to God who gives them and give Him the glory. Now maybe some of you come from a cessationist church like I did when I came to Sovereign Grace and you have some reluctance about the charismatic or you have some reluctance about the gifts because you've seen them misused in the past. Misused in a way that they draw attention to people 
and not to God. And you need to know that this church and our family of churches of sovereign grace, that is an an error that we are seeking to avoid because we believe what is taught here in verses 4 through 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We believe the gifts are given so that we can serve others and we want to use them in a way that brings God much glory. My my fellow members of my church that I brought with me, we were praying back there before the meeting, and that was our main prayer. God be glorified in any ways that we use the gifts today. It also seems intentional, you can see it there in verse 6, but also in verse 11, that, that God empowers the gifts. Paul wants us to know that because we can't use the gifts in our own power. We can't effectively use the gifts in our own strength. We are dependent and desperate for the Spirit's filling and for the Spirit's power to use our gifts. So here's the question. What are are these gifts that God empowers? How would you define the spiritual gifts? Maybe it's another way to ask the question. I like this definition by Boyd Hunt. Spiritual gifts are God empowering His people through the Holy Spirit for kingdom life and service, enabling them in attitude and action to live and minister in a manner which glorifies Christ. Some gifts, they they look more like natural abilities, if you can call it that. Verse 28, administration. You see that in verse 28 in chapter 12. Or the gift of of helping in, in that verse as well. Other gifts look more supernatural, like the gift of healing. You see that in verse 9. Or the gift of prophecy. You see that in verse 10. So gifts, as it's described in the New Testament, it it really defines a broad and diverse of gifts and abilities and talents that God gives to each of His people so that we can minister to others in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ. Spiritual gifts are given and empowered by God so that each of us, Not some of us, each of us can participate in kingdom life and ministry and in gospel mission. Okay, second characteristic of the gifts, number two, gifts are a manifestation of God's presence. Gifts are a manifestation of God's presence. You see that there in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, There are many ways that God can manifest His presence among us. And one of those is that when we use our gifts, the Spirit manifests Himself among us and we are aware, like we were aware yesterday if you were there, of God's presence and of God's activity as we use our spiritual gifts. Max Turner says this. This is an important observation about the text. The thread running through the whole discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-10, through 10, is that the phenomena Paul lists are regarded as events in which the Spirit is made manifest. That is, the Spirit's activity coming to relatively clear, even dramatic expression. They are workings of God in which the presence and activity of divine power is judged to be a matter of immediate perception. And You want to experience more of the Spirit in your life, then use your spiritual gifts, the gifts that God has 
given you because God loves to fill ordinary people like you and me with His Spirit. And he, He loves to give us power to minister to others in a way that we are aware of His presence. We are aware that He is here and working among us. So again, if you are a person who said, I want more of God. I want more of His presence and the the work of His Spirit in my life. Then purpose and pray for the use of your spiritual gifts. And not only on a Sunday morning, when you go to your missional communities, or when you gather in your huddle groups, pray before you go and say, Lord, use me in, other, in any ways you want to use me. Empower the gifts that you've given me so that when we gather together, we can experience your presence. It was um, actually just a few weeks ago, I believe, about three weeks ago, um, after our meeting at Covenant Fellowship Church, we were planning to pray for people to be healed. We do that once a month. And there is a, a woman in our church, Karen Massington, uh, who actually had, I think, texted you, Rick, and you texted me. And on that particular morning, she was praying for, uh, just for our service before she came to church. And she just had this, this thought that came to mind. I believe it was a prophetic impression that as we went to pray for people for healing that day, that there were actually people there who had diverticulitis and that, they, that God wanted to heal them. And so when we ended the meeting, uh, one of our pastors, Andy Farm, I, I think it was Andy, just announced that uh, we were going to pray for healing and, uh, and then shared that word. If anybody just, just it would encourage them. I prayed for a, a woman uh, during that time, and she doesn't come to our church often because she's a member of another church, but her, her daughter goes there, and she was sitting in her seat, and she's had a number of medical issues. And she told me before we prayed, she goes, I wasn't going to come forward. I just, I, I, just, I just didn't want to, I just felt uncomfortable. But when I heard that particular impression that, that God wanted to heal people who have diverticulitis, I, I didn't have a choice. That's what I'm wrestling with, and so I'm here to receive prayer. So you, you can't plan that. Pastors in sovereign grace, we're not that good. That's what it means. But God is good to care for his people. Speak to that woman on that day, and we prayed. I don't know whether God healed her or not, but just the fact that she was there on that day, to hear that, it encouraged her. She was aware that God's presence was among us. Third characteristic of the gifts, number three, gifts are for the common good. You saw that in verse 7, obviously. Verse 7 is clear that the purpose of giving the gifts is not for yourself, but for the common good. They are given to serve others. They are given to strengthen, to edify your church. That means that all the gifts listed in the New Testament, in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, in Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4, all of those gifts, they are for the common good. And gifts are given not, again, to draw attention to ourselves, but to serve others and draw great attention to Jesus. When you use your gifts, you can make much of Jesus. Max Turner says, The gift of the Spirit to believers affords the whole experiential dimension of the Christian life, which is essentially charismatic in nature. These charismata, that's a Greek word for, for gifts, these charismata, these gifts, 
operate at individual and corporate levels, enabling a life-giving, joyful understanding of and ability to apply the gospel, impelling and enabling different services to others in the church, and driving and empowering the mission to proclaim the good news. So whether it's spiritual gifts where we're praying for healing, or it's leaving here and taking the good news to the underprivileged, as was prophesied earlier in Sioux Falls, we need the power of the spirits. And those gifts are given, and that power is given for the common good. Which leads to the fourth characteristic, number four. Keep the gifts connected to the gospel. Keep the gifts connected to the gospel. One of the, I mentioned this yesterday, I want to say it again, one of the, the errors that I think you can see in the charismatic world is that they can be prone to, to put too much emphasis on the gifts and functionally separate the gifts from the gospel. Scripture never does that. In fact, just the way that this letter is structured is one illustration biblically. So Paul begins this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, and he says, I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That, that gospel truth of Christ and Him crucified, it flavors the rest of the letter because he, he, talks, about, uh, he talks about idolatry. He talks about Christians suing one another in court. He talks about uh, idolatry. And what is the one thing that he knows? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I mean, the gospel it threads through each of those issues. And so when we get to chapters 12 through 14, it is the one thing that he knows. It is Christ and Him crucified. And then he begins to wrap up this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. And he said, For I delivered to you that of first importance. What is the first importance? Does he say the gifts? No. He says that Christ died for your sins. That's of first importance. And he goes on to talk about his resurrection and appearing, as you know, and his ascension. So this letter begins with Christ and him crucified. It flavors the rest of the letter. It ends with that of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. And tucked into that discussion is this discussion on the spiritual gifts that we find in chapters 12 through 14. The, that, the way the structure is the way the letter is structured tells us that the, the gifts are given to continue and strengthen and encourage you in the way the gospel is working in your lives. And, and keep in mind, according to 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 and 25, that there are times when you use your spiritual gifts, and there what's happening is prophecy is being used like on a Sunday morning, and unbelievers come into your service, and they hear a prophetic impression, a prophetic word delivered. And what does the text say? It says that the secrets of their heart are revealed. In that moment, they fall to their knees and they have to at least admit that God is alive and that God exists. We, um, I told this story yesterday. I'm not trying to repeat stories and I won't, but I, I have to tell this one. We, we have a course at our church called the Bridge Course. It's a 10-week introduction to Christianity. It's, if you're similar to if you're familiar with the Alpha Course, it's, it's, it's similar to that. We can't believe that many unbelievers actually come into a church building at our church. They have dinner, they listen to a Christian talk, and they stay after and they have discussion about it. It's kind of an amazing thing. 
And there's a story from a bridge course uh, a few years ago in our church uh, that I received from Lila Knox. Her and her husband Ron were leading one of those small groups, and there were there was a couple there, Bill and Vivian. Bill, 89 years old, and Vivian, 83. And through that 10 weeks in those discussion groups, they never said a word. It was clear they weren't Christians. And this was the last night. This was the 10th week. And they were just wrapping up the discussion. And again, Bill and Vivian sat there silent. And they just ended that time of prayer. And Lila just began to pray. And as she was praying, she thought the Lord just gave a prophetic word to her for Bill. What she saw, and this is what she told and shared with Bill, this. I saw an old pickup truck from the 1950s that he was fixing, that Bill was fixing. Parts were laying all over the floor and he was full of grease. I felt that it was a picture of his life, that he had lived this fragmented life and he felt that way his entire life. But that God saw him as one whole person, complete and not fragmented, and that he wanted Bill to be free in Christ. So I prayed that God would enable Bill to see the depths of his love that God had for him. That he saw him as a complete person. And they finished up the prayer. and She looked at Bill and she said, Bill, does that make any sense to you? And with tears beginning to stream down his face, he said, it makes total sense. I felt that way my entire life. And so Lila took the opportunity to share the gospel with him again. And he said to Bill, she said to Bill, would you like to repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ? And he immediately said yes. And in that moment, confessed his sins and he prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. Now we don't know for certain, but we believe that night, 89-year-old Bill was born again through the regenerating work of the Spirit. My point in sharing that story with you is you don't know who walks through your doors on Sundays or in your missional groups. Brothers and sisters, keep the gifts connected to the gospel. Okay, let's look at a couple of the gifts. As you know, as continuationists, we believe that gifts are given today to glorify God and to use them to serve others. Uh, this list, by the way, of gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 is not an exhaustive list of the gifts. Uh, they are gifts that are being used in Corinth. So it's a list that he put together to address issues in Corinth. It's not an exhaustive list. And we're just going to look at two gifts. When I first sent this um, outline to Greg, I only was going to speak about the gift of prophecy. But as I was doing sermon prep, and I want you to know this, I just felt prompted by the Spirit to just talk about the gift of healing briefly. Because after the service today, if you need prayer for healing, I believe God wants to heal, should that be His will. The gift of healing is found in, here in verse 9. Now, you've got to get this right. The people who have the gift of healing, they don't heal. God is the only one who heals. But what you do see in people that have the gift of healing is that when they pray for others at times, and maybe many times, not every time, you've got to get that right, not every time, but many times people are healed. I mentioned that one of the ways we, we practice this at Covenant Fellowship Church is we, we say every fourth Sunday after, after the service, we are going to pray for healing. And we have a healing team, and 
members of our prophecy team, we just come forward and and people pray. We pray after our service. We look for opportunities to pray in other contexts as well. For, at our youth camp, for example, when our teens are gathered. And that's the context of the story that I want to tell you. Uh, there's a, a young lady in our church um, by the name of Katura Snyder. And she was at youth camp. And this was the last evening. We were having a time of ministry. And a man by the name of Henry Cooper, who's a member of our church, he approached this group of teens as they were praying together, and he just said, does anyone in this group um, have a hearing problem? And Katura quickly raised her hand. Now, this is Lori, her mom, writing to me after. She's deaf in her left ear, Lori says. You see, ever since Katura was born, she's not been able to hear out of her left ear. She has all of the bones for hearing in her left ear, but due to, def- to a deformed ear canal, She's not been able to hear out of her left ear ever. And so Henry didn't know that. He just began to pray for her. And after praying for her, Katura said, I I just feel like there's something different about my ear and didn't know what to make of it. Traveled home, didn't say much until Sunday morning, and she said to her mom, "I, I, I think maybe the Lord has restored my hearing. And so Lori writes that one of the things that she used to do was to whisper into her left ear and, and Katura couldn't ha- hear her. So she whispered in her left ear and she clearly heard her mom. They, they weren't convinced yet. They wanted to test it more, so they put earphones on. She couldn't hear out of the, the left earphone and she could hear. See, that is a manifestation of God's presence, isn't it? God's presence to use Henry Cooper with the gift of healing, to care for Katura Snyder, to restore her hearing in the left ear. It was an illustration of the gifts being used for the common good and in a way that makes much of Christ. Only He deserves the glory for that. And so after the service, if you would like prayer for healing, please come forward. Okay, the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit found in Romans 12, 6, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, and also in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. In fact, if you have a Bible, uh, flip over to 1 Corinthians 14 or slide it on your phone to 1 Corinthians 14. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So you you see there the gift of prophecy mentioned as, as mentioned in second, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. But what is it? What is the gift? This is how we define the gift of prophecy at Covenant Fellowship Church. This is the definition. It's a simple sentence. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Now, you've got to be careful with that word revelation. We don't mean by revelation that we are adding to the canon of Scripture. 
So if you're prayed for after the service and you receive a prophetic word, you will not find it in the Bible tomorrow. That's what we're saying. We don't mean revelation in that way. So you're saying, Mark, why use the word revelation? It's because it's the word that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn. We sang earlier, a hymn, a lesson. You're hearing that now. A revelation. We had a revelation before. A prophetic word, a tongue, and interpretation. Go to verse 30. If a revelation, so there's the word again, is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent for... You can all prophesy one by one. So Paul's linking this word revelation with the gift of prophecy. And Wayne Gruden makes this observation about that word revelation throughout the New Testament. He says the the revelation which comes is thought by Paul to be of divine, not human origin. This is evident first from the fact that the word Paul uses for revelation is used 44 times in the New Testament and never refers to human activity or communication. Rather, whenever the New Testament speaks of a revelation it is always given by the activity of God so prophecy is you humanly reporting what you believe that God has brought to mind now we can move on from this definition and miss something remarkable here's what's remarkable God desires to speak to us today now you've got to get this right the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word not through prophecy You don't put the gift of prophecy over the Word. You put it under the Word, under the authority of the Word. So the primary way that God will speak to you each and every day is the Word of God. But at times, God will use the gift of prophecy to speak to us. And even though it is imperfect and even though it has no authority, it has a wonderful purpose. So what is is the purpose of prophecy? Simply, it's this. It's edification. You see that in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for, for what? Their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. See, God desires to build up His church, to encourage His church and to console His people. I would encourage you to read all of 1 Corinthians 14. One of the things that always affects me when I read this entire chapter is the repetitive language that you'll find there. Over and over again, in fact, six times, you will find this language referencing the church being built up. You see it in verses 3, 4, 5, 12, 17, and 26. And we know that Scripture is written by man, but it is inspired by God. It's written by God. And so that repetitive language reflects God's heart for you. That He desires to edify you, to build you up, to strengthen you, to encourage you through the gift of prophecy. I believe that's important for most Christians. Because as John Owen said, most of us, including myself, we can have this tendency to have hard thoughts about God. We've had a a difficult week. Maybe you could relate to what Jocelyn shared from the mic earlier. You're just in this place of being confounded by what God is doing. And so you arrive here confused and discouraged. You wonder where God is at. We can have a, a very difficult week and we can arrive here weary, tired, not even aware of God's presence. We can have a week where we just seem like, man, we just sinned a lot. And so you arrive here with guilt and maybe even shame. And we can begin to think that 
that God has sort of had it with us. He just kind of backs away and says, work out your life and then we'll re-engage. That's a hard thought about God. It's It's an inaccurate thought about God. And then we can be gathered together and the Spirit moves and a prophetic word is shared that speaks right into your life. And you know that He desires not to tear you down, but to build you up, to encourage you, and to strengthen you. We were in a series at Covenant Fellowship Church where we were teaching through the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And we got to chapter 5 where it says, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies. That particular verse. And we had planned that morning as pastors after the preaching that we would just pray for people after the service. And I want to tell you a story of a woman who was there that morning. She says, after the service, I waited patiently for someone to pray for me. When it was my turn, the woman and I only exchanged names. Now, that may seem odd to you, but we're a church of about 1,100. And so there are people that just haven't met one another yet. And this woman was fairly new to the church at the time. We exchanged names and She touched my arm and began to pray. Her first words brought tears to my eyes. She said, I sense that you are in anticipation of something and you're feeling anxiety related to whatever it is you're anticipating. She mentioned that the worship music on that morning touched me. However, as much as I wanted to, I was unsure just how to cast my worries aside and trust God completely with the situation I was facing. She prayed that I would lift my gaze to God and trust Him entirely. She prayed that I would shed the anxiety I was feeling like clothing and have faith that God would see me through this situation. And then she goes and says this, I wept after because what she could not have known was that on the following day, I was about to start a brand new job in a brand new field only after days, days earlier leaving a job and field that I had loved. I had been feeling an enormous amount of anxiety about leaving that job and transitioning into a new one. I couldn't sleep at night. I was so worried that I forgot to pray to God for help until the day before that service on that Saturday afternoon. And God answered that prayer. God spoke to me through that prophetic word that morning. He let me know that I was not alone and that He had heard my prayer. As I step in this new situation, that He is with me. The purpose of the gift of prophecy is to edify God's people. Now, you've got to use it with its limitations. There are two limitations that I want you to be aware of. The gift of prophecy is affected by our finite and fallen humanness. Our ability to give and receive prophetic words, it is limited and imperfect. We want to be honest about that. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9, we know in part and we prophesy in part. Now, we've got to get this right. The prophecies that you find in Scripture, those are infallible. But any prophetic words that we shared yesterday or that we might share this morning, they are fallible, which means... We might make mistakes. Now, when we were praying back here before the service, we didn't pray, God, let us make mistakes today. (laughs) We didn't pray that. But we want to be honest that we can miss it at times. And when we do, and if you have the gift of prophecy, and if you miss it at times, and I have, I could tell you about many mistakes, it's, it's a chance to respond in humility 
and in a way that engenders trust to other people. What I mean by that is just say, when someone, you ask somebody, that makes sense to you, and they say no, you simply say, I can miss it at times. And just acknowledging that, that will help them to trust you because they know that you can miss it. Now, this has practical implications for you. If we pray for anyone today, you need to take any prophetic impression that you receive and you need to submit it to the Word of God. You need to, to, to submit it to God in prayer. You need to submit it to other believers and get wise counsel. We want to be very clear about this. We don't want people making these life-changing decisions about their lives based on prophetic words alone. So that's a limitation that you see with this gift. Here's a, another limitation. Be very clear about this, especially in our YouTube world today where there's a lot of prophetic, worlds, uh, prophetic words. The gift of prophecy has no authority in your life. It has no authority in your life. There, there is one authority in your life, and it is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. That's our authority. So that's why when you receive a prophetic word, you want to submit it to the authority of God, which means that evaluation is critical. It says there in verse 29 of, of chapter 14, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh. Weigh what is said. Well, who are the others? The others are the gathered church. Anybody that's hearing this prophetic word shared, you have a responsibility to discern it, to weigh it in light of Scripture. And I believe the others there also means that the elders have that responsibility because Paul is writing to a church where there's a chaotic worship service and the elders need to lead through it, which is why Greg was at the ministry mic this morning and heard the words and discerned whether they should be shared or not. It's an expression because of these limitations that prophecy needs to be governed by the elders of the church. And you might think, especially if you come from maybe a Pentecostal past, that government will restrain prophecy, that, that government will, re, will squelch the Spirit. But actually, talk to my folks that have come with me, we have found the opposite to be true. That actually, uh, humble, discerning leadership, hopefully we're being humble, godly leadership, actually frees them to use their gift in a way that God has determined. Let me, let me just close just reminding you that the gifts are given and empowered by God to serve others, and to edify the church, and to encourage the work of the gospel. And when they are used biblically and humbly, they give the giver of the gifts much glory. And so I want to end with a story from yesterday. We had finished up what I thought was just a wonderful time of ministry, meaning that we we're primarily aware of God's presence and primarily aware of how God had cared for his people. And there was a man there that raised his hands and he said, could I, could I just share something? Could I share an encouragement? And uh, he, he basically said that he and his wife, who we had never met before, uh, were prayed for and that the words that were shared with them spoke right into their lives in a way that basically he was saying we... We now understand this, this gift is real. And we have received not just your care, we've received God's care today. That thrilled our souls because that's what we were praying for, that God would receive the glory. And so let's, let's pray now. And 
Let's pray that any time of ministry that we will enter into, the Spirit will manifest Himself and God will receive the glory. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, Your holy and authoritative Word that that clearly teaches on the gifts and to which the gifts are submitted. And so we pray that we would always use our gifts and that this church would use the gifts in a way that is under the authority of Scripture and in a way that is for the common good. I pray for Emmaus Road Church. I pray that there would be just an increase in the Spirit's activity and the empowering of the gifts in a way that this church is strengthened, that they're used for the common good. And that one of the many ways that this church brings you glory is by using their gifts to care and to serve one another. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.